1 Thessalonians 3, 4. Welcome back to Bible time. This is a continuation of the thought in verse 3 where he says that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed therein too. In verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, for verily when we were with you, we told you before that we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and you know we're going to be talking today about tribulation we need to be talking today about tribulation what the bible is means whenever it says says the word tribulation here and the idea of tribulation is to be something just as um, kind of a word picture that i can i think of um, helps me with it is kind of like a troubled sea i know it's not the same word as troubled but um, for me it works just to kind of tag it so think about a sea that's constantly churning and the winds blowing and the waves are beating over against each other and crashing and building building and crashing and building and finally smashing up against the rocks and you kind of have an idea of tribulation it's the opposite of a peaceful calm serene gentle existence it's a very turbulent existence a painful existence a existence of suffering of an existence full of difficulty an existence full of tribulation we saw in that other text there that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. And we looked at that last, the that we were appointed to afflictions. Um, now let's pray and then we'll jump into this. Father, in Jesus' name, please just feed us today. Give us what we need. And Lord, we pray for those that will listen to these later. We pray that you would help them to understand, help us to understand. I pray, Lord, that you would use this for your glory. In Jesus' name, unctionize me, Lord God. Give me utterance. Lord, anoint me, Lord, as thy servant to preach thy word. I cannot preach without thee, Lord. I am absolutely void of anything good to offer anyone here or on the internet, Lord, that would might listen or tape or however somebody might listen cd father it would be useless father if you didn't come lord not one of these messages will help anybody unless you anoint them father and anoint me in jesus name we pray amen now we looked at this appointed to afflictions and we looked at the at the fact that most people suffer some kind of afflictions just like whenever we studied separation in the message hope and separation we realized that there everybody has separation everybody has some kind of afflictions everybody has some kind of tribulations in their lives but Christians are particularly appointed to afflictions we looked at Luke chapter 16 how that the rich man in his life he received his good things and Lazarus evil and, it, and then Abraham told him there as the rich man suffered in torment in hell Abraham told that rich man um, there in hell he said in the, thou receivest thy good things in thy lifetime and Lazarus evil things now he is comforted and thou art tormented as a Christian our eyes should be on eternity our eyes should be on heaven our eyes should not be on our best life now this life is a life of labor this life is a life of testing this life is a life of trial this life is a life of affliction this life is a life of trouble and so our hope is not in this life our hope is in the next life and here he says to them in verse 4 for verily when we were with you we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and ye know now isn't that interesting that Paul was in Thessalonica for three Sabbath days reasoning from the scriptures with the Jews and he probably met with those Christians who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and in that short amount of time in just three Sabbath days he had to talk to them about tribulation isn't that amazing he had to talk to them about tribulation, about the suffering that would come. And Paul warned them at the very start of tribulation. Now, I want you to think of the different evangelistic crusades and evangelistic outreaches you've been a part of or seen or watched um, movies of or short films of, or maybe you have seen them on television. And I want you to ask yourself how many of those evangelists or tele-evangelists or etc. have included in their gospel presentation a, at least some information about the tribulation that would accompany the new believers' lives. How many, how many of those have you seen? How many evangelistic crusades have you seen where included with the gospel... 
is the full disclosure that when a man turns from idols to serve the living God, he can expect his life to go downhill. He can expect to have afflictions. He can expect to suffer want. He can expect persecution. He can expect to be hated of all men for my sake, said Jesus Christ. Jesus said um, that he that shall seek to find his life will lose it, but he that loses his life for my sake in the gospels shall find it. And Jesus speaks of finding it unto life eternal. There is life eternal that is to be gained. Jesus's gospel, Paul's gospel in the Bible, which are the same gospel, the gospel of almighty God, the everlasting gospel that would be preached by angels during the great tribulation. Uh, The gospel of God is a gospel of suffering. It's a gospel that tells us that there was suffering because of sin, that because of sin, death passed upon all men for that all have sinned and that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together until now and is in pain in the, in the use of the words there in labor pains that the creation is in labor pains right now that the creation is suffering affliction and tribulation because of sin that entered into the world but one day Jesus Christ the, the creator God who made heaven and earth who was called the word before he got a body but who the prophets prophesied would be called Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. That God in the flesh left his throne in heaven. He left his robes of glory. He left all of the honor and the praise that is due his holy name to become a man and to humble himself and be found in fashion as a man. And he humbled himself and took on him the form of a servant. Though he was God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, yet he became a man and he lived a life of affliction. He was born in a poor manger. He was born to poor parents who labored for a living. He was born to Joseph and Mary, to the carpenter Joseph. Um, Now, Joseph not being his birth father, but rather a stepfather, a caretaker of Mary and of the child. And there, Jesus Christ grew up working, laboring with his own hands, sweating, feeling the effects of the curse. When he began his ministry, the whole nation, his own nation, hated him, his own people in Nazareth tried to throw him down the brow of a hill at the very outset of his ministry. If God had not intervened on behalf of his son, who is God in the flesh, if Jesus Christ had not escaped out of their hands that day, Jesus's own kinfolk in the flesh and his own so-called friends and his own community would have thrown him off a cliff at the start of his ministry and there would be no story of Jesus today. Do you hear that? If, so, if Jesus had not escaped them, there would not have been three and a half years. You would have no gospel of Matthew, no gospel of Mark, no gospel of Luke, no gospel of John. There would be no cross. There wouldn't be no blood of the Redeemer. Man in his, in his best state, the Bible says, is altogether vanity. And man that's trying to be religious and please God apart from Christ is far worse than in his best state. Man that's trying to be religious apart from Christ always persecutes Christ and Christ's people. So Jesus Christ himself lived a life of suffering, a life of affliction, a life of tribulation, a life of false accusation, a life of suffering, a life of privation, a life of want, a life of hunger, a life of sorrow, a life of sadness. The Bible tells us that Jesus wept. Well, we know that Jesus had joy and the Bible does say the joy of the Lord is your strength. But what was the joy of Jesus Christ? The Bible says that he for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ's joy was not a joy in earthly pleasure. It was not a joy in ice cream socials. It was not a joy in fishing trips. It was not a joy in county fairs. Jesus Christ's joy was a joy at the thought of a job well done, at the completion of the cross, at the completion of salvation for mankind and for the joy that was set before him Jesus Christ endured the cross and despised the shame and we've looked at some of this listen to me today our eyes have to be on heaven if you want this best your best life now if you want the best now you will miss Christ you will miss Christ if you want the best now 
We are appointed to affliction. We are appointed to tribulation. The apostle Paul preached that to him. Jesus Christ went to that cross. He died. He was buried and he rose again. And now he's at the right hand of the father interceding for us. And by the way, he's fasting. He said, I will eat no more of the fruit of the vine until I eat it with you in my kingdom, in my father's kingdom. He said, I will eat no more of this bread until I eat it with you in the father's kingdom. Jesus is fasting and praying today for his people in heaven. Hallelujah. Now we are called to a life of affliction. We are called to an appointed to affliction. The Apostle Paul here tells the church in Thessalonica three things. We told you you were. It came. It happened like we told you. I told you so. And now you tell me so. He said, I told you so. I told you. And then when it happened, I told you so. And then now that it's happened, you tell me so. Do you get that? He says three things here. He says, first of all, I warned you that it would happen. Secondly, it happened. Thirdly, now you know what happened. And I wasn't kidding. And you got it, right? That's the idea. It's pretty simple. He says in verse 3 that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Verse 4, for verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. We told you, even as it came to pass. We told you so, and ye know, and now you say so, and now you know so, and now you know that you're appointed to tribulation. And he's saying, we don't want you to be moved. And we'll see in the next verse, verse, he says, for this cause when we could no longer forbear, what they were worried about was that even though they told them that tribulation was coming, they didn't get it. You see, people are in general optimists. Even pessimists are usually optimists in disguise. They're usually optimists that are so optimistic that they've been hurt. And so now they just say everything is going to be bad so they can kind of cushion their psyche for it and survive the bad. But everybody is intrinsically in their nature optimistic deep down inside. Everybody wants to hope everything's going to be great. Everything wants to hope that everybody's going to get healed of their sicknesses. And the pessimist is the person. What is a pessimist? A pessimist is an optimist who's been hurt and has become a realist. That's the only difference. An optimist that doesn't have any balance becomes a pessimist. All right, now you guys can all argue all your philosophical debates over all that if you want. But anyway, moving on, he says, we told you you should suffer tribulation. We told you and it came to pass as ye know. Now, you know it came to pass and because it came to pass and you were in tribulation, we were worried about you. Why would he be worried about you? Doesn't everybody like to go through tribulation? Doesn't everybody like things to go bad? Doesn't everybody just love it whenever they try and serve God and the world blows up in their face? It does not just make people happy. Don't you go to church every Sunday and people stand up and testify, hallelujah, praise Jesus. I decided this week I was going to tell my neighbor about the Lord and he went and burnt my house down while I was at work. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. No, our testimonies are praise the Lord. I got a raise at work. Well, have you been telling people about Jesus? No, I might lose my job. That'd be tribulation. I don't want to lose my job. So I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus. But I'll praise the Lord for my raise when I get it. We're absolutely backwards. We absolutely have this whole thing backwards. Our minds in America and throughout the world are wrong towards tribulation most of the time. Sometimes somebody gets it. Jesus said that whenever you are reviled, he said, rejoice ye. And be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which are before you. So, he, so Paul tells us here in 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, we told you, and it happened, and now you know it. First, they told them about it, then it happened to them, and now they're the ones that can tell others about it. It's that much of a fact. It's a threefold fact. You're going to suffer tribulation. You say, why are you repeating this? Because the Bible repeated it. And the Bible keeps repeating it. Why does the Bible keep repeating it? What did Paul say here? He said, for this cause, when we could no longer forbear, we sent to know your state, basically, there in the next verse. And what he's saying is, we thought you might have gotten knocked out by the tribulation. Tribulation is no fun. Tribulation is, is not something we want. And usually what happens to most people is that whenever they start to suffer for Christ, they fall away. 
Oh, they can be a good Christian till it gets bad. And then they fall away. They can be a good Christian while everybody and all of their loved ones are living and healthy and the money's coming in and the bank account's okay and they have a nice roof over their head. But when things go bad, it's time to fall away. Time to back off from this Jesus guy. It's not painting out the way, quite the way that I thought. Go to John chapter 16. We're going to look at this. We need to differentiate here in this word tribulation between the tribulation that God wants, that God has ordained for the church to go through and for the Jews to go through. There's a difference, and we're going to focus on that um, primarily with the rest of this lesson. Have a seat. <clears throat> Thank you. So here in John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus tells them, um, his disciples here, these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace in the world. Ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's a bunch of talk, a bunch of big talk between people in churches all over the place about the great tribulation. And when the great tribulation comes, all these bad things that happen, will the people in the church go through the tribulation there's isn't that a pretty interesting question wouldn't you like to know I mean, that great tribulation in the Bible, we'll read a little bit about it here in just a second. That's pretty bad stuff. talks about a star falling from heaven and burning up a whole third of the earth. It talks about water turning into blood. It talks about many bad things that happen. And I want to know if I'm going through it, but I want you to get a different perspective today with God's help. Jesus said, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. Now, my granddad was loved God. He loved other people. He loved to tell the story of Jesus. He took every opportunity he could, as far as I know of, as far as I'm aware, to share the gospel with people. On his, um, if we happened to get um, a fun day to go somewhere with granddad it was it was normal to be delayed while granddad was sharing the gospel with somebody that was a normal part of the day and he'd just go walking up to them and start talking to them about their life and asking questions and showing interest and next thing you know um, he'd turn the whole conversation towards Christ and towards heaven and towards eternity and hell and what are you going to do when you die and um, that was a common thing to see my granddad do and my granddad has died um, he's gone on to glory. He is now in heaven. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I've got a question for you. Did he escape the great tribulation? Did he escape it? Well, sort of. We've got one nodding over here. We've got others that look confused. You see, there's a thing going around that says that if the church gets pulled out, this is all, this is important because this is going to build up for what we're going to study in the rest of the these epistles to the Thessalonians. We're going to get into some of the end time stuff because Paul does. And what the question is, is does the church get caught up to meet the Lord before the tribulation? And some people call that a rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but it is a word that has been often used to describe the catching up, the catching away of the church. So is the church going to be caught away before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation? And there's a big question that goes around the church about that and a lot of argument. A lot of people really fuss about it. <clears throat> now, some people... Um, some people are right and some people are wrong. How about that? But anyway, a lot of people fuss about it. And one of the things that happens is the people that say that the church is going to go through the tribulation, those people will all say to you that the... Um, that those that would say that the church does not go through the tribulation are escapists. That they just think that they're going to get out of something bad. But I want, I've got something interesting to tell you. All the Christians that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that have repented of their sins and been born again, you're listening to me? All of these Christians, the ones that believed in the pre-millennial um, tribulation with a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, the ones that believed in a post-tribulation um, post rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, all of these different Christians that have argued about this for hundreds of years, listen to me, and are now dead, all escaped it together. Do you get that? So they must have all been escapists. They all bailed out. Why didn't they stick around for it? 
Now, some of you think that's funny. Some of you don't get the humor in it. But there is some humor in it. If you've, if you've heard people get so militant about this thing and fight over this thing to the degree that um, it seems that I have, then that might seem humorous to you as well. But here, all of these guys have escaped it. Did you know that the people that believed that we were going through the tribulation 400 years ago and that truly trusted Christ and were born again by the power of God are now in heaven and they are not in the tribulation? How about that? But did you know they went through a tribulation? We need, this is the point here. Listen to me. Jesus said, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Peter says, yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It did not say will suffer persecution. Will can leave a little bit of wiggle room in it. Shall is a legally binding term, which is why they use the word shall in English in contracts and wedding covenants because it's legally binding and God says in his word yea and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution in the world ye shall have tribulation every Christian that ever lived is going to go through tribulation do you hear me Someone would say, well, the church has to go through the tribulation. What about the thousands of years that have gone since Christ where we haven't had a tribulation? Were they less the church? Think about this. Think this thing through. Why do you, what kind of mystical idea do you have for the name church? What goes through your head? Because the church is a conglomerate of individual believers washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, baptized by Christ, or baptized by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ. That's what a, that's what a church is, is a group of those people. And that church has been going for 2,000 years, and that church church has not yet been hit by the star wormwood do you hear me today i feel like i'm struggling i feel like this isn't making much sense to you but maybe it's making sense to somebody the church has not been all the church has not drunk water that's been turned to blood do you hear me they say the church has to go through the tribulation, but the church isn't going through the tribulation. Why are you making this straw man, this straw man where you have to beat and flog this so-called mystical church entity whenever the church has been existing for 2,000 years and has yet to go through the tribulation anyway? The body of evidence is far on the side that the church is already in tribulation, which is what the Bible teaches. Jesus said that in the world ye shall have tribulation. So what is it? What's this group of people that think that the whole world's just going to get better and better and they don't have to live in persecution, but that someday their offspring are going to have to drink water mixed with blood because they were part of the elect? Where does this idea come from? It's not even Bible. Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You are going to go through tribulation. Now, some people are going to get it worse than others. I want you to think about this. In the, in the book of Revelation, when the star wormwood hits the earth and burns up a third of the earth, if you're under the star, what's going to happen to you? You are toast. If you're not under the star, it's going to be rough, but you might make it. Right? So... Here's, I want to present a, a, a problem for you here to think about. If a third of the church, if the church is going through the tribulation and a third of the church gets burned up, they can't go through the tribulation. They just escaped half of it. Now what are you going to do? Listen, this whole thing is nuts. Let's look at it, though, and let's differentiate. The tribulation. What is the tribulation? These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You are appointed to affliction. Go to the book of Revelation. You are appointed to tribulation. There is a tribulation that accompanies salvation for every single true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ from the time Christ rose from the 
dead to this day. There is tribulation. But there is a special time in the Bible called the Great Tribulation. A special time in the Bible, also known in the Word of God as the time of Jacob's trouble. And we need to understand that this time is a different time. You say, man, you've really jumped rails, haven't you? I don't know. I'm just preaching the Bible. If I've jumped rails, then may God correct me on it. But we need to see the difference. Here he says, we told you before you should suffer tribulation. Which tribulation? What tribulation? Jesus said, in the world ye shall have tribulation. So go to Revelation, and we're just going to run through Revelation here real quick. I'm just doing my best to teach this the way that I can, I've received it. And from the Lord, as I read my Bible, and we'll see what we can do with the Lord's help. Revelation chapter 1 and through 3 are the letters to the churches. It tells us the things that have been. And this is in Revelation 119. You have an outline for the whole book of Revelation. God outlines every one of his books. Until you find God's outline for a book of the Bible, you're going to struggle to understand the Bible. But whenever you find God's outline, it opens it up and helps you to understand. God will give you the clues that you need if you hunt for them. Um, Revelation 119, write the things which thou hast seen. And these things that he hast seen, he writes here to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Pergamos, Smyrna, Thyatira, um, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He writes to these churches the things that he hath seen. And here he describes the entire um, church age, the entire time of tribulation that the church is going through. You see, the church has so far had a 2,000 year tribulation. So far, the church is over 2,000 years of tribulation that the church has gone through. A lot of people say, well, the church has to go through the tribulation. The church has gone through the tribulation. So now you're now some of you out there think that I'm a, um, one of these kingdom now guys and thinks the tribulation happened in 70 AD. Not at all. You see, the great tribulation is not the tribulation. Everybody say that with me. The great tribulation is not the tribulation. Okay, when Jesus talks about tribulation, he's not talking about the great tribulation unless he specifically mentions it or gives it that teaching like he does in places like Matthew 24 where he deals with it um, in, in more detail. This tribulation that the church goes through is given to us all through these letters to the churches. He talks about these in Sardis, and he talks about how they're watching and they need to strengthen the things that remain and hold fast. He tells them in Philadelphia to hold fast till he comes. He tells the Laodiceans, you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's tribulation, by the way. They're in tribulation. He counsels them to buy of him gold that they might. Um, <clears throat> let me find it there. <clears throat> oh, I turned the page on myself. He says, I counsel of you to buy gold <clears throat> tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And here <clears throat> he gives us the insinuation that physical suffering in the last in the end of the church age will be a little less available. You will have the option to bow out of suffering for Christ if you want to. You will have to really follow Christ to suffer for Christ in the end times. That's one of the things that he's teaching here, and it's true. You say, oh, well, that proves it's not the tribulation. Listen, you're off your nut. You're off your rocker. Jesus said, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. Those that choose to bow out are those that are not his. You know, it's, it's so interesting. A lot of people will say the tribulation, Lord help us. They'll say the church is going through the tribulation because it's so wicked. Jesus said that he's purchased to himself a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. Without spot or wrinkle. If the church is so wicked, the church is going through the tribulation, but it won't be his bride that goes. Do you hear me? Christ's bride is not wicked. Christ's bride is without spot and wrinkle. Christ's bride is beautiful and fair. He said, arise, my, my love, my fair one, and come away. So you may go, your church may go through the great tribulation. 
But that tells us more about your church, not part of the bride if it does. So here, the great tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. And after uh, Revelation 3, we have Revelation 4. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So after the church age, after the letters to the churches, there are no more mentions of the churches or of the church anywhere else in here until you get to the end of the great tribulation and here we're gearing up for the great tribulation in chapter 4 he says and immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald and here's the four and twenty elders and the lightnings in verse 5 and thunderings and voices and in verse 11 they say thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created and then he says that there's um, a book that needs to be opened and no man in heaven nor in earth nor under the earth was able to open the book and I wept much chapter 5 verse 4 because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon and one of the elders saith unto me weep not behold the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals and so here in heaven these seven seals are opened the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth which you can get from Zachary Zechariah, I believe that Zechariah 3 9. I'd have to look, I did not look it up this time, but it's there in the book of Zechariah. And he takes this book and it has the prayers of the saints that are offered that have been gathered by God, and he lets them ascend there before his throne. They sing a new song. And here it's the, it says the four beasts and four twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seal thereof for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And by the way, the prayers of the saints, the Bible says that we are called to be saints and addresses every believer as a saint. So this is the prayers of the true believers who make up the church the bride and these prayers are offered before God they worship God and in chapter 6 the ball really gets rolling here in chapter 6 you have these seals open and I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard as it were the noise of thunder one of the four beasts saying come and see and I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer and when he had opened the second seal I heard the second beast say come and see and there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another another and there was given unto him a great sword and when he had opened the third seal I heard the third beast say come and see and I beheld and lo a black horse and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine and when he had opened the fourth seal I heard the voice of the fourth beast say come and see and I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed him and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Power was given him over a fourth part of the earth. By the time we get to this seal, one fourth of all the people in the earth are killed here by the power of death and hell with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held and they cried with a loud voice saying how long O Lord holy and true dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth and white robes were given unto every one of them and it was said unto them that they should rise rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood this hasn't happened yet is obvious and this is what the angel said to John come up hither and he says and then he says after this I looked he says come up hither and um, he says I will show thee things which must be hereafter 
So these are things that have not been done in their completion yet. We have seen tremors. We have seen little hints. We have seen seen things that make us think about these seals, but we have not seen them fulfilled in their entirety. We've not seen them fulfilled openly as the Bible says they will be. It says here, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for great for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand. So there in chapter six, we have some of the seals opened for us. Um, Chapter six gets us right up through um, the fifth seal, the sixth seal, I should say. Chapter seven, then chapter seven speaks of the Israelites here, and it says that they were sealed in their foreheads of all the tribes of Israel in verse four. Chapter five says of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000, which is Asher, of the tribe of Nephthalim, which is Naphtali, were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000, that's Manasseh in the Old Testament, of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Zabulon were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000 now it's interesting here there's no tribe of Dan mentioned directly I don't know why but listen to me how many tribes were there 12 how many tribes of Israel are there How many are lost then? None. There are no lost tribes of Israel. And here are 12 tribes of Israel. The seventh seal is about to be opened. And it's saying here that this angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, is sealing 12,000 of every tribe of Israel. You do not have any right to say that Israel is not Israel here. You are a liar if you change God's word and make it say what it does not say. I don't care how well your intentions may seem to be or how you can justify yourself. If you change God's word, you are a liar. (coughs) After this, I beheld... And lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds. Wait a second. There were 12 tribes of, pay attention here. This is going to be important. This is foundational. This is like a survey, a summary. And splitting this hair is going to help us with the rest of First and Second Thessalonians. And also later, Lord willing, if we ever get to Revelation, having done this summary will help you. There were 12,000 of each tribe, which were how many tribes? 12 tribes, and that had an exact physical number. Look at verse 4. How many is 12 times 12,000? Do the math. 144,000. Here they are numbered specifically to the man. Look at verse 9. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. Now, can you count to 144,000? Yes. And in the Bible, many times, multitudes were counted that far exceeded um, 144,000. There were some armies in the Bible that were a thousand thousands numbered by man. 144,000 does not fill this bill. Now, these 144,000 are on the earth being numbered and sealed in their foreheads. But over here in verse 9, you have a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb." There is a great multitude here of all nations standing before the throne and the Lamb, praising God. Where did they come from? That's the question for you to answer right now. It told you in verse 9, where did this great multitude come from? This multitude no man could number. Where are they from? 
Come on. Look at verse 9. We'll slow down if we have to. Look at verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Where were they from? From all nations. Are those Jews? Yes and no. Are the Jews a nation? Yes. So there's some Jews in there, but there are all nations in there. And so here you have these, a multitude, which no man can number, standing before the throne, clothed in white robes. And it says, and all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they so now we get to ask they get they just asked the question we asked what are these people and where did they come from whence came they one of they say what are these people and whence came they these people arrayed these which are arrayed in white robes what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they and i said unto them sir thou knowest and he said unto me, listen to this, and remember, the great tribulation, the great tribulation has just kicked off and is in full swing, and God is sealing the 144,000 Jews, and he's, look at what he says in verse 14. You say, why are we off on this rabbit trail? It ain't no rabbit trail. It's Bible, and it's what we're studying in the Bible, and it's where we're at in Thessalonians. He's telling them before that they would suffer tribulation even as it happened. And as you know, and here, look at what it says in verse 14. I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation. Did you hear that? He didn't say they came out of the great tribulation, but they came out of great tribulation. And what did he say they've done? And have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. He said here, here as the tribulation is kicking off, he's sealing the heads of 12,000 of each tribe, 144,000 Jews. And he says, while he's doing it, there's a great multitude, no man can number, with white robes in heaven, who are crying and out worshiping God, and they made their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. And where did they come from? These are they which came out of great tribulation. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. And it happened. And the people standing in heaven went through great tribulation. But the tribulation hasn't started yet hardly. It's barely kicked off. We've only got six seals in. But here they are. Listen to me. Don't you ever let anybody tell you. That if you're a born-again believer, that you're going to have to go through the great tribulation. You tell them, if you're a believer, you are going through great tribulation. And then they'll not even know what to do. They'll think you're an amillennialist or something. That should be kind of humorous to some of you, too. But I understand if you haven't encountered that either. But in any case... You tell them, Jesus said, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. If you are born again, if you are a Christian, you are going to go through tribulation. Great tribulation. And what are the three things here that are specifically mentioned? There are many more benefits to being in heaven, as is seen in other texts. But let's look at chapter 7 and verse 16. There are three things here that are specifically listed. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. 
Jesus said, having food and raiment, therewith be content. And these three areas of hunger, thirst, and sun beating down in heat upon them are the three areas that more than anything else God mentioned as relief from the great tribulation that they go through. Now, true Bible-believing Christians follow Jesus and evangelize, and they're out there with the sun beating on their heads. Will they go house to house, door to door, street to street, city to city, carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ? They hunger because they're sitting there telling a man about Jesus, and they missed their dinner. They thirst because they forgot to bring their water bottle, and there is tribulation that can happen while you're wearing wingtips and a suit. You don't have to be dressed in rags to go through great tribulation. You don't have to be whipped at a post to go through great tribulation. If you will follow Jesus Christ, you will go through great tribulation. You will suffer separation of loved ones. You will suffer hatred. You will suffer loss. You will suffer the sun beating upon your head. You will suffer as you fast. Jesus said, the day comes when the bridegroom shall be taken from them and then shall my servants fast. And there's those that are true believers in Jesus Christ and follow Jesus fast. Now you can fast and that doesn't make you a true believer, but true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ fast from a burden for the lost, a burden to be more like Christ, a burden to be more holy, a burden to have power on their witness, a burden for God to move in their church, a burden for God to loose their loved ones from the bondage of sin. And those burdens cause them to suffer tribulation. I submit to you today, some of you are going to turn up your nose at this because you know nothing of the reality of following God. And I try to say that without any pride in my heart at all. But I venture to say, and I submit to you today, that sometimes Christians have gone through more tribulation. More tribulation with a three-story house and five cars and all the money in the bank that they could stand. But they have lived a life of tribulation because they followed Jesus. You say, how can these things be? How can a man who has millions of dollars suffer tribulation for Christ? I'll give you a couple examples real quick. I'll give you a man who gave his million dollars seat T. Studd, who was a millionaire, and he gave his money away. If he wasn't a millionaire in technicality in his day, his money was worth more than millions in our day. And he gave his millions away. He gave them all away, and he went with no money and no promise of guaranteed support to China with a group of people who were going in the same society of China Inland Mission. And later he launched out into the heart of Africa to tell the black man about Jesus Christ who died for him and was buried and rose again the third day and that millionaire suffered hunger he suffered thirst and he suffered the heat of the sun and he went through great tribulation and now he stands before the throne of the lamb and worships the son of God who he served with his life and went through great tribulation in the name of on earth there are others men who have hazarded their fortunes hazarded everything they owned everything they possessed to give to the work of God men who have gotten in their prayer closet gotten on their knees and it looked like they were wealthy the rest of the world would have called them wealthy no cardboard box was their living place they might have what most people would call a mansion and it may look like everything is good in their life and they get to eat whatever they want and fare sumptuously and be clothed in purple and they may look like that on the outside but when they get home to their house they put on their sackcloth and ashes in their prayer closet before God and they push away the plate of food and they deny themselves and they take up their cross and they follow Jesus every day of their life. Listen to me today. In the world, ye shall have tribulation. These are they that have gone through great tribulation. The apostle Paul said, we told you it came to pass. Ye know these things that we should suffer tribulation the church will suffer tribulation but there is a tribulation for the church and there is a tribulation for the jew here in our text in revelation chapter 7 we see the two segregated and separated though there will be jewish believers who are part of the church such as the apostle paul and peter and john who will be in that great number who are standing there in heaven that great multitude standing before the throne of the lamb while down on earth twelve thousand 
thousand out of every tribe of Israel are sealed in their foreheads before the seventh trumpet sounds and before the seventh seal is opened and the seven trumpets utter their seven voices and the seven vials of God's wrath are poured out upon this earth. He said, hurt not the earth until these are sealed in their foreheads. Most of the argument about whether or not the church will go through the tribulation, get this, most of the reason there's even an argument is because most of the so-called church is not the church at all. They do not follow Christ. They do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. And they do not go through tribulation. They do not suffer Though the Bible says, yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, they do not. They lay up for themselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves do break through and steal. And they lay not up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt nor where thieves break through nor steal. And where their treasure is, there their heart is also. And their treasure is in earth. And therefore they look at these texts and they can't make heads or tails of them because they don't see the reality of a life of Christ in their own lives. So they have to build up a whole doctrinal system to excuse their disobedience to the commands of Christ and try and justify their existence as a false church. That's the reason most of this argument even exists. Revelation chapter 8, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. These seven trumpets are part of the seventh seal. Look at me. Get this in your mind. It will help you. There's seven seals that are opened by the Lamb of God in Revelation. The seventh seal reveals from within it seven trumpets inside the seventh seal. The seventh seal will be completed when the seven trumpets are done. But there will also be seven thunders and there will also be seven vials of God's wrath. So chapter 8 is the seventh seal and introduces us to the trumpets. It gives us the first four trumpets. It says, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, um, which is the prayer. It says, um, The prayers of the all saints and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound the first angel sounded and there were and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of trees was burnt up and all green grass was burnt up has that happened yet no okay end of story for these post tribbers you're already out and the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. Has that happened yet? Listen, I'm not trying to be snide. It's just basic, raw, common sense. The only way that you can get all these weird systems of eschatology is by coming to the Bible with a with your own presuppositions and proving your ideas with scripture rested out of context. If you come and take the Bible just for what it says, which is the definition of faith, by the way, then you cannot come up with all these weird eschatological plans. But that's not nearly as fun as playing God and pretending like you know more than God and reinterpreting and rewriting the Bible for some of you. So I understand that. Again, I'm not trying to be snide. We're just trying to preach the word of God. This has not happened yet. Second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. Then they'll say, listen to me, young man. They'll say to you, well, that great mountain isn't really a mountain. You tell them that their brain isn't really a brain, okay? Moving on from there. God says what he means. 
And he means what he says. And God will tell you when a mountain that he's talking about is not a real mountain. God will make the application and the interpretation of his own word through his word. And we can get it from his word. We can tell when something is literal and when something is figurative because God tells us when it is. (coughs) Now, it says in verse 9, the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Can you imagine that? And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded. Did you hear that? That star fell. Got through some bumpy disturbances there, but we'll move on here. The the third one there, the third angel sounded. There fell a great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp. Do you hear that? A burning star falling from heaven like a lamp. And the lamps in those days were fire lamps. Burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters, and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. A third part of the waters became Wormwood. This is rough. This is called the Great Tribulation. The time of Jacob's trouble. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it in the night. Likewise, and I beheld and heard another angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three angels, which are yet to sound. Now, the chapter 9 there brings us the fifth and the sixth trumpet. And it goes in, in the fifth trumpet. You have here an angel unlocking the bottomless pit and locusts coming out of the pit that are unlike any grasshoppers you've ever seen. And they have stings in their tails. And they have here tails like unto scorpions. It says, um, look down there at verse 7. The shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were as it were crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. Now here's where, listen to me, a bunch of Bible teachers, they'll say, well, you've got to remember that John the Apostle, John the Apostle, he didn't know what helicopters looked like. So he was probably seeing helicopters right there. If God had wanted to say helicopters, he would have said helicopters. God knows what helicopters look like, and God is the one that wrote the book, not John. Copy? Don't go in for all this junk, all of this revisionist junk where everybody's going to put their own private interpretation on this thing. You say, you don't really believe these are locusts with faces of men, do you? I absolutely do. And if I'm wrong, I'll be wrong and I'll take my blame for it before God. But I'd rather stand before God and be wrong believing him too literally than to explain away his holy word with my own stupid mental reasoning. (coughs) These locusts, it says, had the hair of women and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. These flying locusts with faces like men, with teeth like lions and hair like women. And it says their breastplates were breastplates of iron. And it says the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots and many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. How would you like to get by bit by one of those? That's coming in the tribulation. That's the fifth trumpet. Verse 14 is the sixth angel and the sixth trumpet. And these four angels are loosed. You're going to explain away the the locust. Now you're going to explain away these four devils that are loosed. Um, And the third part of the men that were killed. But no, just take the Bible for what it says. This stuff is serious stuff. How many of you have got that picture yet? 
And we're going to differentiate this between the other. And um, as we, before we do that, this preparation for the seventh trumpet happens in chapter 10 with a commission to preach more than ever. Chapter 11, you have a measurement of the temple, two witnesses commissioned to preach. They get killed, rise again on the third day. And then finally you have the seventh trumpet and we move on through the book of Revelation. Now, what we want to do as we close here is we want to contrast the great tribulation of the Jews with the tribulation Jesus Christ spoke of. The tribulation Jesus Christ spoke of. The tribulation of the Jews is called the great day of the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says of the church that we are not appointed unto wrath. Do you hear me today? It says, you are not appointed unto wrath. And the great tribulation of that seven-year tribulation in the book of Revelation is called the wrath of the Lamb. The the tribulation that Jesus went through is the tribulation his church goes through. You say, you're just a bunch of escapists. Oh, so are you going to call Christ an escapist who was beat and died on the cross? And was buried and rose again the third day. Is he an escapist because he rose from the dead? Listen to me today. Here is the great difference. This is the hair that we're splitting as we look at the great tribulation today. There's great tribulation the church goes through. And there is the great tribulation for Israel. Clearly separated in the Bible. Here's the difference. The, The great tribulation that the church suffers through is great tribulation because of obedience. Do you hear me today? It's because of the the church is following Jesus and living godly in Christ Jesus and preaching the gospel that the church will suffer and has already suffered great tribulation and will continue to suffer that great tribulation from this world as long as they are in the world. Jesus said, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but fear not for I have overcome the world. And the great tribulation which is an event in the Bible, a capital T, the, capital G, great, capital T, tribulation, instead of just going through lowercase t, the, lowercase g, great, lowercase t, tribulation, the all capital, the great tribulation, that's a bunch of pronouns, a title of an event that happens, is the tribulation that the Jews will go through because of disobedience and that the world will go through with them because of the rejection of Messiah. And in that tribulation, there will be 144,000 Jews who are sealed who will not go through the great tribulation as sufferers of God's wrath. They will have a special protection from God on them through the whole thing. Do you remember in the plagues in Egypt whenever the plagues started hitting and then all of a sudden God separated them and there were no plagues in the land of Goshen? That's what it's going to be like in the great tribulation. There will be 144,000 Jews who are untouchable, invincible, invisible to this world. The world will not be able to touch them. They will not go through these wrath, these items of God's wrath, the vials of God's wrath, the suffering that the world goes through. God will shield them from it. He will seal them and he will shield them from it. But the rest of the world is going through that great tribulation. Listen to me. We, yesterday we talked about, last lesson, we talked about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus. Thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and Lazarus evil. Now he is comforted and thou art tormented. You get two options. You follow Jesus and go through great tribulation and stand before the throne and the Lamb washed with your garments washed in the blood of the lamb or you are a disobedient unbeliever that will go through the great tribulation of God's wrath on this world and upon the disobedient nation of Israel called the time of Jacob's trouble you get two options you are going to go through tribulation 
you're either going to go through tribulation for Christ or you'll go through tribulation because of Christ. And the tribulation you go through because of Christ never ends. The tribulation that you go through because of Christ on this earth will be small compared to the eternal, eternal torment that faces men in hell. There in Revelation it says that even the kings would hide and call on the rocks to fall upon them, that the people of the earth would call on the mountains and the hills to fall upon them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. But the irony of that is that if the mountains did fall on them and crush them to death their never dying eternal souls would go immediately to hellfire where they would burn for eternity and suffer tribulation and the wrath of the lamb in hell and then their bodies would be resurrected pulled up from the rubble of the fallen mountains and their bodies would be then to set to stand before God at the great white throne of judgment where they would be reunited with their damned soul from hell and their damned spirit and be cast into the lake of fire. Choose what tribulation you want. Pick your poison. You're going to stand with Jesus and suffer for Christ because you will. Paul said, we told you these things before and they happen and you know. You will. I'm telling you before. Now listen, it's going to happen. You follow Jesus, it's going to happen. Tribulation's coming. And then you'll know it does. But you choose. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd help this message to help others. Pray that you'd help us, Lord God, to make up our minds to suffer with Christ. Lord, we don't have to make suffering happen. It'll come. It comes naturally to all who live godly in Christ Jesus. There's no avoiding it, no averting it, no getting out of it. It's the reality of the situation. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us grace to stand in the evil day. Help us, Lord, having done all to stand. In Jesus' name and for Christ's sake, amen. The last thing I would say there is that while we have tribulation, don't forget the comfort that's coming. Lazarus was comforted in Abraham's bosom. And all those people that went through great tribulation, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more heat of the sun. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Hallelujah. I know what I'm picking. Do you? Amen.